You're listening to Behind the Impact, the podcast that looks at how the most philanthropic companies on the planet are making impact as told by the very changemakers that make it happen. Hello and welcome to episode number 17 of Behind the Impact. I'm your host, Jeremy Brown, and in this episode, Amanda Lenigan, the head of social impact at Cruise, joins the show. If you're not familiar with Cruise, it's an autonomous vehicle technology company that just happened to find a valuable way to use this technology for good during the pandemic, which Amanda and I discuss in this episode. They are in their early stage of their social impact program, so if you're at that point in your program's journey, this is a great episode to listen to. With that being said, let's get into the show. Amanda, welcome to Behind the Impact. Thank you, Jeremy. It's so great to be with you today. Very excited to learn more about your background. Uh, Cruise is such an innovative company, and I'm really excited to learn more about how the company is using its technology for good. I know a lot of the listeners of this podcast are in the same boat where they have you know, technology that can be used for good, and so they're trying to learn more about what other companies are doing. So before we get into Cruise and everything with Cruise for good, what I'd like to do is learn more about your background and how you actually got into the social impact profession. So you can give me that, that career timeline. Absolutely. So when I started my career for context, you know, corporate philanthropy was in place, but there really wasn't a defined CSR path. There definitely were no degrees or anything like that to study. And um, I just knew that I wanted to, you know, dedicate my talent and energy to making an impact in the world. I didn't know how I would do that. I studied in D.C., which is a very engaged city at Georgetown, a Jesuit university where there's um, service ideals in place and ran on a track team via a scholarship. And I give that context because um, it was an amazing experience. I felt very fortunate to have uh, that type of education um, alongside you know, the ability to compete. Um, athletically at that level, but I also felt like I was living in a bit of a privileged bubble. And, um, you know, I I came from a a Midwest town, uh, a suburb of of Kansas City. And um, after the college experience, I just felt like I wanted to understand a different perspective in the world. And I ended up moving to Ecuador. Um, I told my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, that I'm moving to South America for a year and I want to spend, you know, this part of my life really just being in a community that's totally different than anything I've experienced. And so um, I bring that up because it really was a defining moment in my life and career path. Um, I I lived and worked in a really uh, impoverished town in Ecuador and, you know, on a daily basis, I would see kids without enough money to pay the $10 fee to go to school so they could have, you know, books and a uniform, et cetera, so they would sit out on the sidelines. Maternity clinics that had no modern delivery equipment, siblings staying home to care for each other so their mother could go out and, you know, run errands and they could guard the cane house they lived in, families living off of trash dumps and trying to make a living by recycling, et cetera. So, um, uh, you know, I also experienced a lot of joy and generosity there, so I, I do want to share that as well. But basic human needs were not being met, and that kind of shook me to my core. Um, I was convinced that there had to be a way to 
scale the uh, impact of the programs that you know we were supposed to be running. There had to be a way to meet these needs in, in a, a better, more efficient way. And so I, I kind of came back to the states thinking, like, how can I use my talents to, to help um, not necessarily work on the, the social um, the social worker side or the you know the teacher side, the direct service side, but um, utilize systems thinking, management, institutions, and really think about how you know my skills and passions could play a role in building capacity for organizations like the one that I um, served with. And so that that um, is kind of the context for how I got into this work in general. But I began in nonprofit consulting in DC. Um, so I was focused on fundraising campaigns and building strong boards, strategic planning all around, you know, how do you create really strong, high impact programs and scale them for nonprofits. And then when I moved to San Francisco, I started at the Taproot Foundation. And at the time, pro bono service was really uh, still largely reserved for the legal profession. It wasn't baked into um, companies like we see now. And the, the founder, Aaron Hurst, had this idea that um, tapping into new resources, and in this case, human capital, could really be a lever for building the capacity of uh, the social sector. So I was really excited about that. Um, I worked there for many years, and um, ultimately, in addition to running um, the nonprofit service grant program and fundraising, I got into consulting with companies who were trying to figure this social impact thing out. Um, one of the projects I worked on was with LinkedIn, and it was a really exciting time to figure out how they could leverage you know, their platform and member network um, to meet some of these needs. And um, I just thought, you know what, I need to go in-house and figure out how to do this within a company. I was really excited about it, and it took me a while, but I found a, a great position at Charles Schwab. And I spent about six years shaping their community engagement and employee volunteer strategies and ultimately um, was focused on engaging about 20 employees at the time, 20,000 employees at the time, um, in the communities where they operated. And I continue to think about how do you build capacity? So how can um, you know folks that have 15, 20 years experience or more be contributing in ways that actually are making a tangible difference, meeting a need for the nonprofit versus um, you know, just creating an opportunity that is uh, allowing employees to feel good. Um, so that that's always been my focus, and I think the um, one of the programs I built there, the Schwab Pro Bono Challenge, is still still in place and is one of the largest pro bono programs that um, I think uh, that I've seen around. So I've been pretty proud about that. Um, but most recently, I've been at Cruise and. This uh, the last few years have just been an incredible opportunity to work in an emerging industry and to build social impact from the start. So we are a very early stage company, and uh, I have to give you know credit to my boss Rob Grant, who hired me, and the leadership team at Cruise because um, they they are very forward thinking. And um, you know they really get that this is a long-term play, and strategic social impact can build value for the business, right? And and the importance of baking it in early, I think, can't be overstated. For us at Cruise, it's just such a great um, time and opportunity to think about before we even have, you know, our product and service offerings out there. We're figuring out how to make these um, 
commitments and adjustments to our technology to ensure um, that it really is of, of service to all the communities we, we operate in. And so I've been working in this space for a while. That's a long way of answering your question, but I, I hopefully you see a, a bit of a theme there where working across sectors, thinking about you know, how to bring together resources in different ways. And ultimately, I've always gotten a lot of energy from that kind of cross-sector partnership and thinking about how companies, nonprofits, different individuals can come together to create change. So there's a lot to unpack there, which is fantastic. So first I wanna start with, when you have the initial thought of going in-house, entering the, the corporate sector and doing social impact, to the time where you got your first opportunity at Charles Schwab to do that, what was that time frame? I was looking for about two years. Okay. Um, and, you know, I was still enjoying the work that I was doing, but um, at the time I would have to say there was only a social impact role about every six months. So, um, you know, this is like late 2000s. Um, so it's a while ago and now, you know, you've seen the industry really grow. Yep. Um, but these roles were really rare at the time, and um, I I had to work hard to get into Schwab. <laughs> yeah, I totally understand that. So from the nonprofit side of things, there are a number of people that listen to this podcast that are in that same boat where they are a nonprofit professional and they want to make that leap into the corporate sector. And you just mentioned it, the, the, the social impact sector in the corporate space has definitely taken off over the years and there's a lot more opportunities in your, from your experience, what are some of those tangible experiences and expertise that a nonprofit professional can highlight when they're looking for a role in the corporate sector? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think the, um, first of all, most nonprofit professionals are wearing so many hats, are incredibly nimble, and know how to essentially run small businesses, right? Like you're often you're often operating in a way that um, I just think the title never does justice to what um, often the roles in nonprofits are. Um, so first of all, I would just share um, know your worth and value, right, um, in all that you are bringing to the table. I think the the deep kind of authentic awareness of community needs and how nonprofits operate is a really important asset to bring into um, the social impact space within a company. Um, that's not, you know, uh, you know, at Cruise, for example, we're, we're what we do best is build self-driving vehicles, and so how we translate that to meet community needs, you know, we really need to listen to those who are in the community and to to build things in a way that um, we are we have the the forethought of um, approaching this as um, you know in a position to learn, and so I think that that. Um, mindset and framework and ability to bring um you know partnership together how do you make these things work how do you speak the same language how do you measure impact um all of that is something that um you know many nonprofit professionals would bring to the table and you also mentioned the charles schwab pro bono challenge we'd love to learn more about that and you know how like how what was a process that you went through to build a program such as that Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, um, when I came into Schwab, I was really impressed that the employee base was very experienced. Um, you know, it was different than 
uh, a company where you know most folks might be on the younger side. This is a company where the, I think the median age was maybe 45. Um, so folks had been in roles for, as I said, like 15, 20 years. And so um, Schwab had a great tradition of a volunteer week where, you, you know, like many companies, the entire company would dedicate um, a week to service. And so that was really powerful for um, building morale within the company, for connecting employees, for showing um, you know, that there was a commitment to the community and building relationships with nonprofits. But I felt like there was an amazing opportunity to tap into the talents and skill sets and expertise of a more experienced um, you know, employee base. And so that's where the idea for the Pro Bono Challenge came from. I mean, obviously, it was my expertise coming from Tabert Foundation and thinking about capacity building. How could marketing experts, um, you know, be in a position to tell the story of this nonprofit so they could garner more funds? How could um, a financial model be built so a nonprofit would know exactly what their costs were and accurately know how to ask for the right amount of funding that they needed. Um, simple kind of projects like that are essentially what we sought to um, partner with nonprofits on. So we built, um, still structured in a one-day model, a almost like a hackathon for nonprofits who would bring their challenges to the table and um, a team of Schwab employees, which would include you know, our, our executive team, um, that you'd get five or six professionals with collectively, you know, decades of experience, um, sitting with these organizations, coaching them through their challenges, really listening and trying to, um, uh, kind of internalize what their reality was like. And then the teams would go back and produce these deliverables that, we're not, you know, the, the six-month pro bono projects that Taproot Foundation had. They were very much these quick-hit solutions. Um, and they ended up really providing a lot of uh, value in that um, just a, a simple kind of got the nonprofit to the next step. Um, that was a lot of what the pro bono challenge um, solved. And because it was a one-day event, um, you know, I, I forget the numbers now since I've been away from it for a few years, but I mean, we were doing hundreds, hundreds of um, employees were working on these projects and um, it was just uh, exciting to see kind of a scalable way to do um, what I consider, you know, higher impact um, skills-based volunteering. For a company that wants to have a program such as that or a challenge such as, such as that, what advice would you give them based off of what you experienced when you were building that program? Yeah, so I, I did a lot of, um, you know, buy-in internally around like what the company was trying to do and aligning with um, the values around talent development and you know looking for where you could get business wins. But I also brought on um, amazing consultants. So um, Tapper Foundations one, I worked with Common Impact, and they were able to lead with. Um, the community lens and really work with nonprofits to tee up the right projects, coach them, scope them, and allow them to really get the most value out of this session. So I think having a great partner and putting this on is key if you don't have a turnkey um, 
you know, pro bono solution or a product that you're offering nonprofits that you can coach them on. Um, this was very much like built from scratch. And so we really needed that facilitator, um, an intermediary to play that role. And so I would say, you know, if, if you um, are able to tap um, a group like that who knows the nonprofit community well, can source and scope those pro uh, programs for you. Um, that was key in not just coming up with a kind of uh, less resource intensive way to run this and scalable program, but also to save the time of nonprofits participating. Like their time is incredibly valuable and, you know, they have a lot on their plate and their mission is most important. So we didn't want to distract from that. We wanted to invest in having a partner do the work um, to make it easy for them to plug in. Um, and then, you know, I'd say, listen to the feedback, right? Like if you're going to start small, make sure that you're, um, tuning into where you're really adding value, where you need to tweak things and then, you know, scale what works. Perfect. Okay. Now let's get into cruise. So you mentioned it a, a little bit while ago in terms of what the company does, but can you give an official overview of what the actual company does? Sure. For folks who aren't in San Francisco, they might have not seen the cruise vehicles. So cruise is an all-electric autonomous vehicle company. Um, we are designed to create a more sustainable, equitable transportation future. So we, we call our autonomous vehicles AVs, and they're powered 100% by renewable energy. And really, we're, we're building a new form of transportation. So um, we ultimately want to serve the communities where we operate with rideshare and delivery services. Um, but more broadly, we want to think about how you know, this new form of transportation can benefit public good, can serve um, our communities. And so that's really core to Cruise's mission. And it's been exciting the last few months. We've actually begun driverless rides in San Francisco. So nice. Um, members of the public can now take a, a fully autonomous ride. And how long has a company been around? Since about 2013. 2013, okay. That's a long, slow process to yeah. get to this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with a technology like that, it, it you want to go slow. You want to get it right. That's right, exactly. And so what I want to learn more about is Cruise for Good. So I know when the pandemic hit, the team mobilized and used the AV technology to help pro pro provide meals to people in need. So I want to learn more about that and how that took form. Yeah, you know the story. Um, yeah, we, we when the pandemic hit, I mean, if, if you recall, right, we all... We're in a state of shock sitting at home. Everyone's businesses were halted unless you were an essential service and food insecurity was skyrocketing. So there was this kind of organic response within our company um, that, that began when we saw food insecurity skyrocketing and we knew we had vehicles sitting on the sidelines while you know, low-income seniors, for example, are sitting at home and can't get to the food bank. Um, so that was the scenario we found ourselves in in March and April of 2020. And we really quickly connected with some organizations that were leading responses, the San Francisco Marin Food Bank, SF New Deal, a new nonprofit that started up um, as a result of the pandemic. And we just essentially asked how we could use our vehicles to help. Um, we just leaned into what they were putting in place and mobilized and you know brought together within a matter of two weeks this delivery program where our autonomous vehicles would deliver meals and groceries to um, San Franciscans in need. And a, a few months into 
this response. Um, you know, we learned a lot and tweaked as we went, but um, it was really working. And I think we saw as a company the the potential to make a longer term commitment in this area. And so that really spurred what has now become Cruise for Good, our dedicated social impact program. Um, you know, it was born out of this crisis response, but we formalized the commitment joining the Pledge 1% movement. And so we are dedicating at least 1% of our autonomous vehicle fleet to serving community needs in this way moving forward. Um, and that was a really exciting moment for the company because, um, you know, this is our R&D fleet that we were using. Like it's it's um, before we had any customers or partners, the, these two nonprofits were essentially Cruise's first, um, first customers, which um, I'm really excited and proud about. Yeah, this is the definition of tech for good. So hats off to your team for, for building this and seeing the opportunity and, and helping so many people in need during a pandemic that just literally turned the entire world on its head. So now I want to go over a little bit more over uh, Cruise for Good and learn more about the structure of the team and learn more about your vision for the program. Because obviously this is early days for the program. How do you see it evolving? Yeah, these are all great questions and we're still figuring a lot of them out to be to be transparent. But um, I think fundamentally, um, partnership and social impact is such a natural extension, I think, of Cruise's mission to ensure really that everyone in our communities benefit from the access and connection that autonomous vehicles can provide. So this is one example of that, the partnership with the, the food bank. Um, we've leaned into that. This has been two years in the making and you know we've delivered over 2 million meals now. 80% um, of these meals are going to households living below the poverty line. Um, I think we have 100 metric tons of carbon emissions that have been offset. So there's a lot that we're kind of tracking and measuring that we're excited about. But, um, you know, in full transparency, we're, we're figuring out where this commitment can grow and evolve. We know we want it to. We know we want to bring, um, you know, the best of, of what we have to offer to any market where Cruise is. And we also recognize that there's a lot in place already in terms of nonprofits and small businesses and volunteers that are all kind of working on really um, important critical community needs. And so one of the things we're looking at is how can we evolve through partnership, listening to the communities where we operate and um, you know, be flexible where there are needs. I mean, we have put pillars in place um, around where we think we can have um, the greatest impact. Um, we certainly want to be increasing access to low-income communities, and that might be through increased mobility for folks who have um, mobility issues. It might be bringing essential goods um, to um, areas that are potentially, you know, transit deserts or food deserts. Um, it might mean um, being in a position to provide, you know, rides and access to transportation to get to opportunities. So maybe that's getting to training for a future job. Uh, maybe that's getting rides to interviews. These are all things that we're really excited to explore. Um, but we are definitely in that phase of figuring out what's next and um, learning from, you know, important community partners around where the need is and where this emerging technology can help. And I think one of the things that's um, unique to think about is um, 
you know, what, what is unique about autonomous vehicles, right? Um, and so we're thinking about that a lot as well, because there's certainly other rideshare and delivery services out there. Um, so we're, we're really trying to consider um, what, what can we uniquely bring to the table and what are some of the needs that might um, not be met yet where crews could play a role. Is it safe to say that you are assessing nonprofit partnerships based off of those areas of exploration that you just mentioned? Yeah, we're in the process of that um, now. We also, I think, have made so much, um, we've just learned a lot from what we've started doing around food access. So I, I see us continuing in that area. I mean, Cruise is, is going to offer a delivery service, is in the, the process of piloting deliveries with Walmart in Felix, in Phoenix, excuse me. And um, so I wanna ensure, you know, what we do best as a business is also what we can bring to um, the nonprofit community. So I see us bringing, um, you know, staying committed to um, food insecurity and in ensuring essential goods can be um, delivered to folks who might not have access. Um, but I also see, you know, as I mentioned, so many other possibilities. And so that's where we want to continue to learn um, how we can expand uh, what we offer. Right. For the people out there that are in a very similar boat, in a sense that they are building a program from scratch, they're still in the early stages of doing so, and maybe they haven't quite figured out what they want to do based off of your experience with Cruz as well as Charles Schwab and just really your whole, whole entire career experience what advice would you give somebody who is at that stage in that kind of program life cycle mm-hmm. <laughs> besides be gentle with yourself um, <laughs> I would say you know I, I think the most powerful programs are probably going to be at this intersection of, you know, what you can uniquely do well as a company, what you do, um, you know, as a company, leveraging that as your key um, contribution, figuring out where that meets a key need in society and um, bringing those together. So, um, you know, there's this concept of shared value, which I'm sure you're familiar with. How can what you do as um, a business create greater societal value, you know, in, in at the same time as creating business learnings, ideally? So I think looking for that intersection is, um, is key. Um, and I also think starting small. Um, you know, I mean, we really, we started pretty small with a handful of deliveries and, you know, we pretty quickly got to these long-term ongoing partnerships and, you know, several million meals delivered now. So, um, those are a couple areas that come to mind. Yeah, absolutely. Crawl before you can walk. Okay. Last question for you. When you look at how the social impact profession or sector is evolving. What is the future of social impact in the corporate space, in your opinion? I think we're, we're beginning to see and we'll see more of chief social impact officers. I think we'll see, yeah. you know, just like you're starting to see chief diversity officers, chief sustainability officers. I think these positions are going to be equally um, important. Um, just as we at any other C-suite position. Uh, I think if your business is not in the world to make a positive impact um, on your stakeholders and on the planet, 
why are you in business? You probably won't be in business in 50 years. So I, I think what we're seeing in terms of the rise in stakeholder capitalism, in how you engage and treat your employees, your community, customers, investors, um, you know, it's, it's just, it's not a, a single bottom line anymore. And um, I think when you're, um, things are moving really quickly. A lot of new companies come into the space. And so I think when you're starting something new like Cruises, it's just such a great opportunity to think about why are you doing this and how are you going to impact the world and um, what's going to be better as a result of it. And I think, you know, social impact certainly cannot be an add-on. The notion of giving back is pretty outdated in my mind. And it's, it's, implying that you've taken something from communities. So um, I think when you're able to build in social impact into the core DNA, the mission, what you're measuring, how you're going to benefit society and the planet, um, it really can help advance your company's goals. Um, and I think social impact just um, can also turn on opportunities for innovation. And you know, all of this comes together to make your company more competitive and profitable in the end. There's a lot of data around that. And so I think um, the more companies and, and industries realize like how essential this is to success and profitability, um, I think the more embedded it becomes. And yeah, I really hope that we see kind of that chief social impact officer position as a, a marker of how critical this is. That makes two of us. And one thing I want to highlight is you, you mentioned not being in business in 50 years. And there's a lot of stats out there that talk about how consumers prefer companies that balance profit and impact. And if you don't balance those two things, then like you mentioned, you're probably not going to be in business for very long because the, the consumer behaviors have changed. And so if you're not putting social impact at the forefront of your priority list, then you're going to be struggling going forward. Preaching to the choir. <laughs> <laughs> well, Amanda, thank you so much for joining me. I loved learning about your background. Cruise is doing so many amazing things. And I love the fact that you guys are using the AV technology for good. And I look forward to just seeing how that all evolves and kind of seeing all the good that you do with the technology. Thanks so much, Jeremy. It's, it's a really exciting time and uh, such a pleasure to be a part of this community. So appreciate you having me. This episode is brought to you by Social Impact World the exclusive community for social impact leaders. To learn more, go to www.socialimpactworld.com. I'm Jeremy Brown, and thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Behind the Impact.